Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome once again to America's Community Voices Network. I am your host, Ronald Brookins, and I'm here with my co-host, Mr. Donald Brookins. How are you doing today, Don? Hello, how are you? We have a very special guest with us today. We are very pleased to have her with us. Her name is Chief Jane Castor. We're going to talk about community policing and innovative approaches to reducing crime, but most of all, we want to sort of honor her because she's begin to she's about to end her career as the with the police department and we're going to talk about all the things that she's accomplished as a member of the Tampa Police Department. Before we bring the chief on, just a few words about her. Jane Castle's decisive leadership is evident in all aspects of her 31-year career. She was elected the first female president of a police academy class and 26 years later, she became the first woman to lead the Tampa Police Department. Chief Castor has redefined community policing in her hometown and driven down the crime rate with her innovative approach to fighting crime. Over the course of her career, Chief Jane Castor built a reputation for working side-by-side with residents, community leaders, business owners, and neighboring law enforcement agencies to reduce crime and improve the quality of life in Tampa. Those community partnerships are the foundation of TPD's dynamic crime reduction strategy called Focused on four. Since its induction in 2003, the plan has reduced violent and property crime by 70%. Chief Castor's strong leadership style is balanced with her efforts to help Tampa's most disadvantaged children. She recently opened the doors of a multi-million dollar gymnasium for the Police Athletic League. The new facility is now serving more than 300 at-risk children. The department also opened a brand new safe haven for children called the Rich House. It's the second kind second of its kind, offering a safe environment for children to thrive and for parents to connect with social services. Chief Castro's commitment to at-risk kids is exemplified in her new Young Adult Police Academy. It targets kids on the verge of becoming involved in crime. Today, please join us now as we not only say farewell to Chief Jane Castor, but we also commend her for serving the city of Tampa and its diverse communities with great distinction. And with that, we welcome Chief Jane Castor. Hello, Chief. Well, thank you very much. Hello, how are you today? We're doing very well. Well, Chief, to get everything started off, let's start at the beginning. Can you please tell our audience how a young woman named Jane became Jane Castor, Chief of the Tampa Police Department? (laughs) That's a a good question because one of the unusual things about law enforcement is that um, you really come in it to be a police officer out there on the street. And the further through the ranks you move, the less of that, you know, that work you get to do that you came here for, being out on the street, being able to help people uh, firsthand. So, um, you know, it's it's one of those journeys. I never saw myself in the position of, of chief of police, but uh, I continue to rise through the ranks and just really the right time at the right place and had the honor of being named uh, the chief of police of what I feel is the greatest police department in the nation. Chief Castor, as you prepare to retire from the Tampa Police Department, can you please discuss with us the concept of community policing and what role it has played throughout your career? Uh, community policing really is the foundation of police work. Um, you know, I always tell all the groups that I speak to that the police department exert, exists to serve the citizens and we belong to the community. And in order for uh, law enforcement to be effective, 
we have to have the trust of the people that we serve. If we, if the community didn't trust that law enforcement was going to do the right thing, then we would be powerless out there. And the only way that you can build that trust is through relationships, through communication with the citizens that you serve. So it's very, very important that um, our officers know the the people that um, they're serving. They know the neighborhoods. They know uh, what the crime problems are. They know who lives there, who belongs in the community, and that um, they understand what the community wants, what are the standards that they want enforced in their own neighborhoods. So community policing isn't a, it isn't a um, division of the Tampa Police Department. It defines the Tampa Police Department. Okay, Chief, i got a little curveball I'm about to throw at you now. Uh, okay. Can you please tell me? Can you please tell the audience what has informed your career the most, the knowledge and experiences that you acquired prior to becoming chief of police or after you became chief of police? Wow, that's a good one. Um, I would have to say the knowledge and experiences prior to becoming uh, the chief of police are are the most important. You know, I spent um, 26 years out there on, on the streets serving, serving the citizens, and so all of those experiences and the direct relationships and the direct contact with the community uh, that you're able to build is really, it's invaluable. And even getting to know some of the bad guys, you know, getting to know some of the, the individuals out there on the street that are committing crime, that there, you know, there's an underlying reason in some of those cases. Um, I've, you know, in the course of my career, I've met, some people that were pretty bad characters. But in most cases, what I have found is that they were broken in some point, at some point in their life, and it was usually through no fault of their own. And so you always have to give people a chance, and you always have to find out what it is that motivates them. You know, if, if someone committing a crime because they haven't eaten all day and they're hungry, or are they doing that because they're, you know, they're just a criminal? And so it's very important. One story, if you just have a uh, few seconds for a real quick story that kind of formed my, um, my enforcement strategy. I wrote a citation to an older gentleman one time for attaching a tag onto his truck that didn't, uh, didn't belong on there. It was actually a criminal citation violation. I wrote him a citation said, listen, you just need to show up to court and handle this. I saw him a few weeks later, actually a, probably a couple months later, on the street. And I said, hey, how are you doing? He said, oh, not so good. He said, you know, you wrote me that ticket. And he said, I couldn't afford to pay it. He said, so um, my insurance, uh, my license was suspended, so I lost my insurance. And he goes, I had to uh, sell my truck in order to, to take care of everything. And he goes, and my truck was my livelihood. I'm a junk man, and I can't do anything without my truck. So to me, I was just writing a citation. But for this individual, that meant his livelihood. And if I'd had any idea, I never would have written that citation. So that's what I try to instill in our officers, you know, the, the discretion and trying to look beyond the actions that the individual has committed. Chief, can you please describe to us what was the status of community policing when you became chief of police, and how has that status changed during your tenure? Well, law enforcement in general um, sort of drifted away from the original community policing 
uh, philosophies and and became really more reactive. You know, we had the the ability to get from point A to point B B very quickly, and also, um, you know, you have the air conditioning, the car windows rolled up. Nobody's really talking to people in the community, and we're just responding from call to call and reacting to what's going on, as opposed to being proactive, getting out there, knowing the community and um, trying to prevent crime as opposed to waiting for it to happen and responding to it. And that's really what we have done in the Tampa Police Department over the last 12 years is we have gone back to that proactive policing, um, policing through a partnership with all citizens, and it's been very, very effective for us. And, uh, you know, in the, the, uh, the results are in the crime reduction that we have been able to, to accomplish over the years. So community policing is is something that is very important. It is uh, the basis of how policing started, you know, centuries ago uh, with, with Sir Robert Peel in London, and now we're we're basically coming full circle back to that type of of policing. I mentioned earlier in in your introduction, we talked about a program that 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 uh, you created called Focus on Four and how much mm-hmm. you emphasize that as a program to establish community partnerships as an effective tool mm-hmm. to reduce crime in Tampa. Tell us about Focus on Four and how you implemented that program. Well, what Focus on Four is we, we looked at ways that we could make our community as safe as possible, again, through a partnership with all citizens. And one of the – what you know, what's effective in other cities um, doesn't necessarily translate well to our community. And so we looked at there are crimes that are called part one crimes, and those are the most serious ones, you know, robbery, uh, sexual assault, um, homicide, all of the grand theft, those types of things. So we looked at crimes that we could have an impact on, you know, crimes that happen in large enough numbers and they lend themselves to enforcement. And by that, I'll say uh, homicides. You know, homicide is a very, very important crime, but it's difficult to have a direct impact on that because it's usually a crime of passion, opportunity, those types of things. Or um, aggravated batteries. Aggravated batteries happen in large numbers, but again, it's usually a crime of passion and it doesn't lend itself to enforcement. So we looked at those four crimes we felt we could have an impact on, and it's robbery, auto theft, auto burglary, and residential burglary. And we found that by putting our efforts and focus towards reducing those four crimes, that in essence it had a ripple effect on all other crimes. And so every crime, part one and part two, every crime in the city of Tampa has consistently been reduced uh, year after year for the last 12 years. As, as a matter of fact, our auto theft is down over 90%. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. So, I mean, as a foundation, Focus on Four served as a foundation, and it sort of had a compounding effect in which you were able to address uh, many of the other area, principal areas of crime in the area. Am I mm-hmm. correct? Exactly. Yes, exactly. It, what we call a ripple effect it had on, on all other crimes because – what you will find is that criminals aren't um, aren't very specific to a, a certain crime. You know, the individual that's going to do a robbery is also going to do a petty theft or is going to do an aggravated battery or is going to be carrying a gun. So 
um, they're not real specialized. And so, again, by focusing on those four types of crime, we've been able to affect all crime. Now, Chief, uh, I talked about also in the, in the introduction about your work with disadvantaged children, and I want to talk about two aspects of that. Can you tell us about the Rich House and why it was created? Mm-hmm. Well, here's one of the things that um, that I learned early on after becoming a member of our executive staff as a major in the department, that the names of the individuals that are being arrested today, you know, the names that are read out in our staff meetings, quite often were the kids of people that we put in jail when, you know, when, as I say, when we were real police officers out there on the street. And so my position was we have to break that cycle. We've got to, to um, provide some type of direction or support for the youth in our community so that they don't become our future customers. And to that end, we open what we call the Rich Houses, their resources and community hope. And we've had one in Sulphur Springs for well over a decade now, and it's um, it's really had phenomenal success. Matter of fact, there's a young girl that was a product of the Rich House in Sulphur Springs who had had no one in her family ever go to college, much less actually she had never had anybody in her family graduate from high school. And she... Um, is in pre-med down at University of Miami right now. So, you know, if you give kids an opportunity in life, and that's that's what we're trying to do through the rich houses, give some of these kids in the most disadvantaged areas that opportunity that a lot of other kids take for granted. And we also had um we had some difficulty in the Robles Park area in reducing crime. We had kind of hit a plateau in that area. And so we opened a a rich house just a little bit over a year ago in a second rich house in the Robles Park area, and we found that crime started to reduce again. So it's been, you know, just a very effective program for us to be able to reach the kids in the community, them help them along the way so they can become productive members of our community and not like I said, end up in the in the uh, judicial system. Well, that's remarkable. Congratulations. Uh, Chief, Thanks. can you please describe to us another program that you have that I was really interested in, and that's the Young Adult Police Academy. Yes, that's another. We have uh, Citizens Academies for the adults in, in our community, and we run two of those a year, and they're very, very, very popular. And we, we put um, adults through uh, nine weeks. It's one one evening a week. And in essence, we put them through a mini police academy. And like I said, it's, it's um, wildly popular and very, very effective. And so I thought, why don't we get some of these young kids that are high school age that are just kind of, you know, right on that bubble or at that fork in the road where they can choose any direction. And um, we've had two of them so far. This summer we'll have our third one. And we bring these high school-age kids in and, uh, in essence, put them through a, a mini police department or um, police academy. And it's, it's kind of interesting. I always tell everybody when they first come in, they have that look of total disinterest, which I certainly recognize because I have two 15-year-old boys. And um, by the end of it, the very first class, we had four young men get up and say that 
although they had never had any experience, any positive experience with law enforcement, that they were thinking about that as a career. So, you know, it's been very positive on both sides, not just for the kids, but for the officers that are involved as well, to see things from the perspective of young adults. Chief, I want to talk about now a partnership that you established with USF to train your officers on recognizing and overcoming biases to establish fair and impartial policing practices. Mm-hmm. Tell me how this came about and why was it so important? Well, it is, it's very, very important. You know, we have gone through one of the things that our officers hear from me um, when I swear them in and I swear in every one of our police, new police officers and what they hear uh, at the beginning of their career and throughout their career is what we call the golden rule at the Tampa Police Department and that is that everyone is treated with dignity and respect, and there, there's no exception to that rule. And really what it all boils down to is how you treat people. You know, people just want to, want to be treated with dignity and respect. And one of the things that, you know, we've gone for years and years and years of everybody denying that they had any bias or any prejudice. You know, you always hear people say, oh, not me, I have no prejudice, I have no bias. Well, research shows that every human being has biases. And really what the fair and impartial uh, policing training does is it it makes everyone realize that they have these types of, of biases, and it's whether it's ex- explicit or implicit. And by explicit, you know, are the people that say things straight out. You know, they'll say, yes, I am biased or yes, I am prejudiced. And the the implicit are things that people may not really recognize, but they may still have an effect on the way that they treat people. And so this whole course is geared at helping people recognize those implicit biases that they may have and to ensure that that doesn't affect the way that they police. And we actually had at the – all of my officers have been through that, as has all of our staff members. And during the staff member training, I actually invited um, representatives from the community, from a a number of different areas, from faith-based. We had a couple of uh, reverends in there. I had the president of the NAACP, uh, the president of the ACLU, and a lot of diverse members um, um, represented from the Hispanic community so they could see what we were going through and what this this training entailed. And it's, um, it's actually been very beneficial for not only for the officers, but also for some of our community leaders to, you know, to see what officers are faced with on a daily basis and to really understand that the police officers are out there to to serve the community and, you know, they have the best interests of our citizens at heart. Okay, Chief, we have about 10 minutes left in the program. I know time is going fast, but I'm going to turn over the question to my co-host and my twin brother, Donald. Hello, okay. Chief Cass. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm interested. Good. Uh, uh, after hearing everything you've had to say, and it's, it's a, a long list of things that you've done, is there anything during your tenure that you did not achieve that you wish you had during your career with the Tampa Police Department? Oh, um, no. I think that um, you know, I've I've done what I set out to do. I'm very, very proud of how safe our city is. I'm extremely proud of 
the relationship that we have with our community and that our officers are, you know, have built the, the relationships and the partnerships with the citizens that they serve so that, you know, they have that, that good foundation where citizens are comfortable in questioning the actions of police officers. So I would have to say that's probably what I'm most proud of are those, the development and the nurturing of those relationships. But again, it's something like I tell my officers, you know, you can't just check a box. Those relationships are something that we have to work on every single day. And uh, so I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of the crime reduction. I'm also proud of, of uh, some of the programs that we've been able to put into place to help the kids in our our community. And also um, the relationships, not only with the community, but with the different organizations, uh, whether it's law enforcement organizations or um, you know, service providers in the community, all of the relationships that we have built so that everybody's working together towards one common goal. So I'm I'm very proud of that as well. Very good. Now let me ask, um um I assume that you you, you do have children, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you my have next question is year old boys. Okay. So my next question is, how has your career influenced your role as a mother? So, um, well, that'd be a good question for my kids. They would, uh, they would probably say that they are treated very, very unfairly. (laughs) It's tough to be be a, um, the child of a police officer. I always tell everyone we're, we're just a little overprotective because most parents read about tragic things that happen to kids. They read about them in the paper but unfortunately, for police officers, you know we're there we we're the ones that have to pull the bodies from you know from the cars or um little kids out of pools and you know things like that. We see firsthand um the tragedies that can occur so I would say that uh we're we're probably as parents a little overprotective, but I can tell you that being a parent is probably the best thing that can happen, well, definitely is the best thing that's ever happened in my life, but it's the best thing for leadership development as well because I always said, you know, when I became a parent, I thought that I was going to mold these little creatures into the human beings I wanted them to be, and then you realize early on that they come pre-wired with personalities you're not going to change. And so that, I think, really helps you as a leader and as a supervisor, uh, being a parent, and then certainly the organizational skills. I always say if you lack organizational skills, try to get a couple two-year-olds ready for school and out the door on time. (laughs) It's a little difficult. But, um, yeah, being a parent uh, I think has a profound effect on on everyone, and and hopefully the effect on everyone else is just as good as it's been on my life. What are your concerns? What 
well, my concerns right now at this very moment is all of this violence that has erupted uh, among the youth in our community. And really, it's a nationwide phenomenon, but Tampa is not like the rest of the nation. You know, we don't have the crime issues and we don't have the violence um, that other cities suffer from. And so I tell you what, since the beginning of this year, the violence that has exploded with individual shooting, we had a, a homicide uh, some weeks back where an individual was shot because he was on the wrong side of the street. You know, those are those are the things that concern me. And it's it's young individuals that don't seem to have uh, value for life. And I'm, uh, you know, we're doing everything that we can to stop that violence, but it really needs to be something that comes from the community. I I just feel that that sense of community is somewhat lacking right now, where you have adults that will step in, you know, when the youth need some assistance or some direction or you know, maybe a smack in the head or something to get their attention because it's um, it's really we had a, a series of shootings over the weekend, and it, it's really not gang related because gangs are statutorily defined. It's um, just kind of like these crews, and you know, you came to the wrong area of town is certainly not a reason for somebody to lose their life, and that's what we're seeing happen. All right, and Chief, one 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 final question is, um, what are you looking forward to the most in the next phase of your life as you leave the police department? <laughs> I think um, a little bit of free time I think will be very, very nice. And I told someone uh, the other night that the ability to read something for pleasure, I think I will really look forward to, like actually read a book that isn't um, a report that isn't law enforcement related. Uh, that's pretty much, you know, I'm on duty seven days a week, 24 hours. Hello? Yeah, you kind of blanked out there. Okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah, just a little bit of free time is what I'm looking forward to. Very well. Well, Chief, uh, we're almost at the end of the program, and uh, on behalf of all of the many of the citizens in, in, in Tampa, we certainly want to thank you for your service to our community. We appreciate it, and uh, we certainly honor and recognize you for the great and exceptional career that you've had. You've served the, the city of Tampa with great distinction, and we want to say thank you. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for having me on your program. I really appreciate it. Okay, now, thank you so much. Have a good afternoon. Uh-huh. All right, thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. My name is Donald Brookins. Have a great day, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.